Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. I want to tell you about Al Capone, the famous Prohibition-era gangster, best known as the boss of the criminal organization known as the Chicago Outfit in the 1920s. Plenty of listeners have written in wanting to hear about this bloke, Nash Kelly, Devon C., Andrew Murray. Thanks to all the alert listeners getting in touch. And uh, seeing as we seeing as we talked about the, the mob, the mafia, and even mentioned Capone in last week's episode, I thought now would be a great time to, uh, to talk about one of the most infamous gangsters in history. So let's get across the story of Al Capone. Capone was born in Brooklyn in New York in the United States on the 17th of January 1899 to Gabrielle and Teresa Capone, who had emigrated from the US from a small town near Salerno in Italy. Capone grew up in New York and uh, while he was apparently quite a clever kid, um, did not have a very successful schooling. He was expelled at the age of 14 for hitting a teacher, uh, so he showed his violent colours very early on there. After leaving school, he uh, hit a brief stint as, of all things, a semi-professional baseball player, uh, but then ended up falling in with uh, various smaller gangs in New York City, such as the Brooklyn Rippers, uh, before ultimately joining the powerful Five Points Gang, led by Paul Kelly, not the singer-songwriter, unfortunately, just a mob boss. Um, Capone worked as a bouncer while in the Five Points Gang, and it was while working as a bouncer that he got uh, his most famous nickname, a nickname that followed him everywhere in spite of or perhaps because of uh, how much he hated it, Scarface. Now, you might, as- you might associate the term Scarface with the Al Pacino film, but it was, uh, it was actually Al Capone's real-life nickname. It was given to him after he had his face slashed three times by a man whose sister he insulted by, uh, while while working the door. Uh, Capone hated not just this nickname, but also the, the scars that the attack left him with. In most photos that you see of Al Capone, you'll notice that he tilts his head, uh, tilts his face to his left, right? So the camera actually couldn't see the scars. You have to go online and look at look for like mug shots to see, uh, to see the, the pretty brutal scars he had. Uh, along the the bottom of his left cheek. Anyway, um, uh, Scarface wasn't the only nickname he had as well. Incidentally, uh, he was also known as as Big Al, which makes sense. Uh, Big Boy, which in my view is one of the greatest nicknames you could possibly hope for. I would love to be called Big Boy. Um, But also what his friends called him, which was Snorky. Apparently, this guy's mates called him Snorky. Um, a, a word used to refer to someone who dresses particularly well back then. So, for all of us who find 
Zoomer slang impenetrable these days know that even a hundred years ago, kids were using weird terms and phrases that didn't make sense and seem utterly ridiculous now. Anyway, in 1919, at the age of 20, Capone moved from New York City to Chicago, and there he continued working with gangs, uh, again as a bouncer, but this time at, uh, at a brothel. And it's thought that it was uh, during this time uh, that Capone contracted syphilis, which would uh, go and have very serious consequences for him. But we'll uh, we'll come uh, come back to that in due course. But overall, he did very well for himself in Chicago uh, as part of the gang that would ultimately rise to prominence as the Chicago Outfit. Now they had a lot of fingers and a lot of pies, as any good mafia organization will do. But prohibition was the number one way, terrific way, for the Mafia to make money at this point in history. And the gang that Capone was part of grew to become the biggest bootlegging crew in Chicago. And Capone himself rose to become the second in command of this gang by 1925. And uh, when the leader, Johnny Torrio, survived a, a shooting ambush that same year, he decided to take an early retirement and so handed the reins to Capone. So at the age of just 26, Al Capone became the leader of the biggest gang in Chicago, overseeing all of its activities, principally, however, the illegal production of alcohol, the illegal distribution of alcohol, and the illegal sale of alcohol. A lot of illegality and a lot of alcohol, and for Capone, this also meant a lot of money. He made stacks on stacks with his uh, enormous bootlegging operation. And uh, unlike the more diplomatic and peaceful Torrio, Capone was not afraid to use violence to achieve his business aims. Under Capone, the Chicago outfit terrorised those who interfered with or even refused to take part in their operations. Uh, Capone would do things like order the bombings of speakeasies that wouldn't buy his booze. So he was ruthless, but he was immensely successful. Capone became extremely wealthy. He spent his money freely on all sorts of stuff, all the finer things in life, food, drinks, cigars, fancy clothes, cars, must mean very nice. And this is what leads us uh, when we think of the, the sort of the popular the popular media conception of a gangster. Often we think of a, a you know, a, a mob boss with a cigar and a fedora in a pinstripe suit. This image comes from the success of Al Capone and how he liked to spend his money. However, the most important thing that he spent his money on, quite aside from the, the cigars and the clothes and everything else, the most important thing he spent his money on was, perhaps somewhat surprisingly, law enforcement, of all things. This guy bribed the pants off of Everyone, police officers, politicians, judges, civil servants, corrupting anyone who might have otherwise stood in his way. Everyone was on the take in Chicago from, from Capone. And, and this was one of the reasons that his business continued to be so successful. There was no one who hadn't been paid off. There was no one left to disrupt it, except for, that is other gangs. Capone himself became the target of increasingly determined attacks and assassination attempts at the hands of his rivals who wanted a piece of his action. Of course, we know, we talked last week about the fact that uh, these uh, these mobs would go after each other, attack each other's shipments and, uh, and trucks and warehouses and, and production facilities. But Capone himself, as I say, was the target of, uh, of, of many of these attacks. Enemy mob bosses uh, put bounties on Capone's head. Crime boss Joe Aiello put 
forth tens of thousands of dollars as a reward for the death of Capone. He even tried to pay the head chef of Capone's favourite restaurant to put prussic acid in his soup, but the chef uh, wisely declined and instead uh, told Capone of the plot. And this and other attempts on Capone's life in the back half of the 1920s saw him have a huge personal security entourage as he knew that so many people were after him. Um, and, and this became even more obvious when ALO put a $50,000 open bounty on Capone, but no one was able to claim it. Capone was ready for all of these attacks. ALO was eventually arrested when some hitmen that he had sent were caught and confessed to ALO's involvement. So Capone saw off each and every attempt on his life with a trail of dead assassins in his wake and the general enmity of the rest of Chicago's criminal underworld. But as far as the general public were concerned, they bloody loved this bloke. Not only was Capone keeping them all plied with booze thanks to his bootlegging, they wouldn't be able to get it without him, he also did things like open soup kitchens for the unemployed during the Great Depression. He made huge contributions to public charities. This bloke was so beloved by the people of Chicago that when he turned up to baseball games, he would be cheered by the crowds. He loved the attention. He loved the accolades. And everything was going swimmingly for him. The city's law enforcement was in his pocket. He was seeing off all these tin pot gangs trying to murder him. And he was a hero of the common people. But then, in 1929, things slowly but surely started to unravel for Capone, beginning with the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. In February 1929, Capone ordered the killings of a group of rival gangsters from the Northside Gang, who were still trying to muscle in on his bootlegging operations. And this resulted in the public murders of seven members of the Northside Gang. Um, but what was uh, what was particularly important about uh, about these murders is that the story of this massacre took off, along with very graphic photos of its aftermath. And this wanton murder in broad daylight irreparably harmed Capone's public image, even with the soup kitchens and the charities. And it led to uh, to politicians that were that were known to be in, Capone, in in Capone's pockets, consequently suffering at the ballot box. But uh, much worse than the erosion of his uh, of his public and political support was the fact that this public massacre and the publicity that it received ultimately resulted in a huge in a huge amount of focused attention on Capone and his operation, and not from the corruptible authorities in Chicago. No, now. The feds were after him. Just two weeks after the inauguration of new president Herbert Herbert Hoover, Hoover was persuaded to come down on Capone like a ton of bricks. But how? This was the hard thing. It was difficult to nail Capone for criminal wrongdoing because he always had other people do his dirty work for him. Despite him being named Chicago's public enemy number one, because of, because of how his operation functioned, it would be very difficult to get him personally for something like murder because, again, it was always other people doing this stuff for him. So instead of murder or whatever else, the feds went after Al Capone for tax evasion, of all things. The federal government put together a crack team of investigators deemed to be incorruptible, immune to the bribes that Capone would no doubt offer them, 
and these men became known as the Untouchables. While making their case against him, authorities moved in on Capone's business, they destroyed his bootlegging operations wherever they could, and hassled him with all these minor offences. He was arrested for vagrancy at one point, and so he was in and out of prison here and there as we moved towards the 1930s. But the masterstroke came with this all-new approach to nailing Capone, not for bootlegging or, or bombings or murdering people, but uh, but rather through the novel approach of him not having paid his taxes. Because believe it or not, illegally gained money is still taxable. If you rob a bank, you have to declare your, uh, your earnings. And it was uh, very, very clear that Capone wasn't doing this. He wasn't paying sufficient tax when you considered how wealthy he was. So the federal authorities took this as their line of attack. They put together a case that would prove that Capone hadn't paid the tax that he should have. Remember all of the the, the fancy clothes, the cigars, the, the lavish lifestyle that Capone was so very proud of? Well, showing off his wealth in this way, it was coming back to bite him on the ass, let me tell you. But here's the really good part, right? Because Capone, realising which way the wind was blowing, realising that he you know might get in trouble here for not having paid the, the taxes he owed... He decided, he made a decision that makes a lot of sense in the abstract. He decided that rather than go down for these tax offences, he would actually come forward and offer to pay the taxes that he was said to owe, right? Just put the issue to bed, pay the taxes then and there, and now you don't have to worry about anything. So his lawyer wrote a letter to that effect saying, yes, certainly Al Capone owes this much in tax and, you know, is happy to pay it and sent this letter to the the feds, to the untouchables, who then, as a result, had essentially what was just a written confession. This letter admitted that Capone hadn't paid tax, and despite the fact that he was willing to do so, he he still got done for it. Sometimes, Sometimes the tax office might give you a chance to, you know, make things right, correct an oversight, pay you back taxes, but they're certainly not going to do that when you're public enemy number one, mate. Capone was arrested, he was charged with tax evasion, and his lawyers, if you'll believe it, they stuffed it up again because they didn't prepare for the trial properly. They'd made a plea plea deal that then fell through, and then with the plea deal falling through, they didn't have time to to prepare a mount of proper defence. And so the line that they took in uh, attempting to get Capone off here was they claimed that he had lost all the money he'd made through gambling. Uh, Never mind that gambling losses are only deductible against gambling winnings. And so, as a result, Capone was convicted of tax evasion. Five counts of it, 11 years in prison, never mind all the mafia stuff, they got him for tax evasion. In mid-1932, aged just 33, Capone's time as a mob boss was over forever. He was sent to Atlanta U.S. Penitentiary. And let me tell you. Things were coming apart at the seams. Well, actually, no, no, that's already happened. The, the, the stuff has already well and truly come apart at the seams. He's been locked up. The Chicago outfit is without its legendary leader. It's a disaster all round. The outfit did actually recover from the loss of Capone. They took a much quieter and less violent approach to doing business um, and, uh, and maintained their uh, operations all the way through to the present day. The Chicago outfit is, uh, is still around these days. Anyway, for Capone, however things went from bad to worse once he was locked up. Uh, He's having huge withdrawals from cocaine, which has messed him up pretty badly over the years. And on top of that, remember the syphilis? 
Well, Capone now also had gonorrhea to keep the syphilis company, and he is really not in a good way once behind bars. In 1934, two years into his sentence, he was sent to the newly opened Alcatraz Federal Penitentiary in San Francisco, and it was here that that Capone went into a sharp decline. The syphilis had developed into neurosyphilis. It was affecting his brain. And as a result, Capone steadily lost his mental capabilities and his health continued to decline as the years went on. Ultimately, he was released released from prison in 1939 due to just how bad his condition was. He had regressed to near childlike behaviour, really. Uh, a doctor said he had the, uh, the mental capacity of a... Uh, of a 12-year-old, and uh, while he was one of the first Americans to receive uh, penicillin to treat his disease, episode 151, get across it, it was far too late for Capone. He did survive another eight years, but he was a shadow of his former self, and uh, then finally, on the 25th of January 1947, after having a stroke, he died at the age of just 48. And today, Capone is remembered as one of the most legendarily infamous gangsters in history. The archetypical mafia boss, someone who has gone on to have a colossal impact on popular media and the way that mafia bosses are portrayed in in popular fiction. It's funny to think that he was only 33 when his career effectively ended. Makes you think about what you've achieved with your life, doesn't it? I mean... I'm 34, and I've never risen to prominence as a crime lord. I've never, I've never been cheered at at a baseball game. But then again, I'm not behind bars with syphilis, so maybe I shouldn't be behind. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.